Hey, one more thing before you go. How do you go from the battlefield to inner peace? How do you take the harsh realities of war and still find solace in those unexpected places? Can we find the same principles in this journey and apply them to any circumstance we're going through right now in order to transform our lives positively? Stay tuned. We're going to have those questions and many more answered when we have a conversation with a man that did just that and now helps others walk that journey. We'll show you how you can do it as well. I'm your host, Michael Hurst. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. From desert combat zones to a battle within, John Lawyer transformed from spiritual soldier to spiritual seeker. He acts as one of the several guides for Kishar, a nonprofit online spiritual community, which we're going to talk about. This community is a place for people to share their journeys and explore their own unique spiritual path. John is an omnist, which we'll also talk about, and believes in the validity of the most spiritual and religious beliefs around the world. His extraordinary journey from the battlefields to the realms of spirituality is an amazing opportunity to understand the resilience of the human soul to overcome and move forward in a positive way. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Uh, you have an amazing journey. I know that I've had numerous conversations on here with people that have come from tra tragedy to triumph and overcome many obstacles in life, but you have transformed yourself in such a way that uh, it allows transformation in others. So I'm grateful that you're here. Thank you so much. Um, I'd like to start at the beginning. So if you don't mind, where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in central Oklahoma, a small town, uh, very rural, about 8,000 people. And I had a good childhood. Uh, my parents uh, um, took good care of me. And uh, it was a, uh, it was a, a, a really a neat place to grow up. And uh, everything went well for me for the most part uh, in the, my early childhood and my I guess my very early teenage years and then my family kind of started to kind of have some rough spots and kind of started to break up as I was getting into like middle school and high school and kind of everybody kind of went their own separate ways a bit. And then I ended up uh, living by myself for a couple of years, the last two years of high school. And so that was interesting. And I knew I wasn't going to go to college. I didn't really want to. I wanted to do something else. So I decided to enlist in the U.S. Army. And I uh, I tested well on the, the, the pre-enlistment test. And I ended up enlisting to be a counterintelligence special agent. And I uh, joined the Army about a year before 9-11. Counterintelligence agent. That's, uh, that's got to be a very interesting uh, job in itself. That was an interesting job. It was uh, it was one that has a lot of different aspects to it and, and can have a big range on kind of what you specialize in. And I got the opportunity to kind of experience a lot of different aspects of it. So I, I was fortunate. That's very cool. Um, what drew you to the Army? Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, I watched uh, Lawrence of Arabia and I was fascinated. It was captivating. And uh, I said, I want to do that. And. Uh, and I was always fascinated by Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan novels, and 
you know, it was, uh, I, I kind of, I'd always wanted to do something in intelligence. And so it, it was just something that was always there. And I've just, you know, kind of, I think when you, when you want something or you think you want something enough, kind of the universe kind of pushes you in that direction. Pushes you in that area. Yeah, John Clancy's Jack Ryan. I love that. I love. I live vicariously through him. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm sad that they that they've stopped. They canceled the show. I think they could have continued yeah, that. You know more, but hey, it just still works. I I just go back and rerun, and I'll live vicariously that way. <laughs> um, so tell me, <coughs> as a warrior. Um, uh, you were deployed many places in, in, in uh, across the world in regard to that. I know you went to Afghanistan, you were in Iraq. Um, what kind of experiences did you have back there that uh, you, you, let's say, brought with you um, to allow you to come to the journey which you come at today? Yeah, you know, going, going, you know, I got to my first permanent duty station about six months before 9-11 and I ended up in a real world office that was doing kind of counterterrorism stuff. And so when 9-11 happened, I was actually in a, I was in a skiff working. Uh, I had just been on night shift and, uh, my unit was pretty much just sitting around waiting for a war to happen in the, in CENTCOM Middle East area. And so we all knew we were going to be going and I spent two and a half years in Kuwait, which is half my five-year enlistment. And, you know, supporting troops in Afghanistan. And then we invaded Iraq from Kuwait as well. And so you're you're sitting on a base that's got, you know, 13 generals on it that are coordinating the ground portion of the war. We knew we were going to be attacked by ballistic missiles from Saddam, that kind of thing, which did happen. Uh, the Patriots worked, thankfully. Still pretty tense. Uh, and then when... You know, spending two and a half years in Kuwait, I got to experience uh, meeting people. I got to meet uh, Kuwaitis. I got to meet their country nationals. And I worked between the base and I worked at the U.S. Embassy. So that was an interesting experience. Um, sometimes wearing uniforms, sometimes wearing civilian clothes out amongst the people, that kind of thing. And so it was uh, a lot for a young 20-year-old kid, you know. Yeah. I would end up. My wife did the same, very similar job to me. She was an analyst, and we actually got married in Kuwait um, almost 20 years ago, 20 years ago now. And thanks. Oh, yeah, 20, and, 20 years is good for him, yeah. especially through everything yeah. you've been through. Yeah, it, it, it is good. And when I, I got out of the Army after five years, but I knew I kept, I wanted to keep doing the same thing. And so my wife and I became civilians doing the same jobs that we were doing. And we went to Iraq. We were in Iraq for over 18 months. And, you know, I think for Iraq, uh, yeah, I had a, we had great jobs. They were um, interesting jobs. And, you know, you're doing what you're doing. You're, you're trying to do it well. I, I also started to see the the politics of war and you you look around in iraq and you, you see how much money we're spending um i think that had an impact on me because uh, it was like this huge machine and uh and so we came home for a while we were going to start our own business and that didn't work out so well at the time i was still a kid you know and 
uh, but I learned a lot, but I needed to go back and, and do something that I knew how to do and, and, and make a living. So I went back to Afghanistan and I spent six and a half consecutive years in Kandahar in Southern Afghanistan. And there we were, our unit was responsible for keeping uh, the airfield safe. This is at the time it was the busiest single runway on planet earth. And so, uh, 50,000 people, a lot of assets and, and planes and, and, and stuff to protect. And that was our unit's job was to, to collect information, figure out where the quote unquote bad guys were and, uh, and figure out a way to keep them from doing what they were doing. So it was a, it was a different mission than I'd been doing. It was a very like operational tactical on the ground mission. And before that I had been doing a very strategic kind of like, uh, spy versus spy type type mission. So it was a very different uh, experience in Afghanistan for, for six years. Yeah, that would be a, a, a contrast. But I think at the same time, it gave you the, uh, I think it gave you the opportunity to, to have a well-rounded experience with that whole environment, you know, both from a strategic as well as a personal level. Yeah. And, and throughout the whole thing, you know, it's, uh, when you're in the frying pan, sometimes you don't realize it. You probably know that from your background. Yeah. And, uh, and then you can look back at it and be like, oh, there, you know, there's low grade trauma that whole time because you never know what's going to happen. And that's, that's its own trauma of its own kind. It's this low grade thing. And then there's high grade events that happen, you know, yeah. uh, spikes that happen, missile attacks or rocket attacks or truck bomb, whatever, whatever it is there's these big things that happen and you're like, Oh, I'm lucky to be alive. Um, mm. and I think part of it too, it wasn't just the trauma of, of the experiences of being there, but then you also, I think that the U S does great things. I think the West, the Western military industrial complex does a lot of good around the world, but it's also this dark machine as well. So yeah. like you're part, you're part of this, uh, this dark machine that it, it does some pretty evil stuff. So, um, you know, you're, you realize that you're not just a, in it, you're a part of it. And then you see that machine chewing up the quote unquote enemy. You see it impacting the civilians that are in the middle. And then you also see it chewing up the, your brothers and sisters and arms around you and yourself, even yourself. Yeah. Uh, so I think that the longer I was in, you know, I spending 12 years in deserts out of the first 15 years of my adult life, it, it really became apparent the the human toll of it all, you know? Yeah. It's sometimes we forget about the human toll of the war. I mean, we see a lot of it now, I think with the, with the, uh, what's going on in Israel and, you know, it, and, and it, I, it, it's, between Israel and you know Hamas and and, and the Gaza Strip, um, I think that the media today, uh, because they are so in inbred within the, the the communities and within reporting, and want to be the first to report that. You know, when I grew up, I grew up in the Vietnam era as well. I had friends of mine that went to Vietnam. I would just short of going to Vietnam. Um, they canceled the the draft right when I was supposed to register. Everything, but I did have friends of mine from high school that went to to Vietnam, and I've had family that went to Vietnam. But the the picture of war, the atmosphere of war, 
you know, didn't make it back to America on our TV screens like it does today. Today it is lay right in your face. Here you are. Look around. This is the reality of everything. And I think that um, it's kind of a double-edged sword because it gives the reality, but at the same time, it's giving the reality. So you have to mentally understand really the total toll that's going on there. You're seeing the Gaza Strip is completely destroyed. The buildings, the yeah. lives, the humanity that was done. Israel, the the lives, people were eating breakfast. They're no longer, right. you know, buildings destroyed, homes destroyed, lives destroyed. When you stop and think about that, you know, it takes a toll. You know, from from a perspective of working it, you know, those highs and those lows, as a cop, I understood that uh, on a daily basis, as you know. I mean, not to the extreme of being in a war zone, but we were in a different kind of war zone. You know, every right. time you walk up to a car, you don't know if someone's going to pull a gun on you or shoot you or whatever the case may be. Every domestic violence that you went to, I worked at Fugitive Task Force. Bad guys, picking up bad guys, bad, bad guys. You knew that they were armed. You know, you knew that they didn't want to go back to jail. Same thing with domestic violence. They're too unpredictable. And I worked at the Domestic Violence Task Force for four years, and it was the worst of the worst. It was a multi-agency one, and we collected the worst of the worst. Those things come home with you, and they stay with you. You know, and and I'm sure that's what happened with you too, over that time period, especially being out then within it within the time period that you were. You said twelve of your fifteen adult life, you know, years, correct? That's right. Yeah, first. Yeah, that, that is an impression that just doesn't walk away easy. Um, it stays inside your soul and your heart and your mind and your eyes. And I'm sure that the visuals are still there, the sounds are still there, the apprehension is still there. It's you know something you have to work through. Um, have you, have you, we'll delve a little bit into this. I know that you, you, you present a, a, um, a spiritual realm, um, a spiritual aspect of life, uh, had you been religious when you went out there? You know, I, I grew up, uh, I was raised Southern Baptist in Oklahoma, but I wasn't, uh, I was, I no longer considered myself Christian. I lost track, lost track of God during all those years. Um, and when I came home, I wasn't on a, a spiritual path at all. I was, when I came home, I was completely broken and, uh, I didn't really know who I was outside of my job and my being over there, I didn't really have an identity beyond that. So I think that it was really difficult to figure out my footing and find myself and heal. And it took a lot of time. I think I was just kind of wandering around for seven years when I came home uh, is what happened. So no, I, I wasn't really on an overt spiritual path. I think we're always on a journey, whether we know it or not. So I was on a journey, but I didn't know it. Yeah, I think that <laughs> I, you, I, have to, I have to laugh because it, I, I can relate to that. It's it Going through the experiences that you've gone through, going through the experiences I went through, it kind of changes your understanding of the universe and um, you know, the spiritual aspect of existence. And you question God, you question, why would this happen? Why would you let this happen? You know what I mean? It, it's, it's one of the, I, I'm, I, I grew up Catholic. But I'm not a practicing Catholic, you know. I I evolved into a more spiritual perspective, and and I think that uh, from that 
point of view, it allows us a broader look into the human concept. We as human beings and compassion and humanity and what's right and what's wrong and you know our souls and how we're all interconnected and, and things like this. At what point did you come to, um, to that door, basically, before you opened it? It's, it's been, it's been over two years now. And I was, I was in bed with my, my wife, she was asleep and it was late at night. And I just was struck by this kind of bolt of lightning of understanding or clarity. Some people call it an awakening. Either way, I kind of just understood the universe and the world. And I felt this very, uh, you just talked about that oneness, this connection with everything. And it felt very warm. And I felt like we we're all saying very similar things, whether we were Hindu or Christian or Muslim or atheist. It doesn't really matter. We're all looking at the world a very similar way, even if we have different ways to describe it or, or exactly believe in it. So I, I felt that I find I knew what my purpose was in life. My higher purpose, my dharma was to go help people and help help people help themselves more than anything. And yeah, it all just made sense to me in kind of a moment. Well, you know, and it's nice that uh, when we've we've had an identity like you've had, or like the identity that I had, I, my identity, I wasn't just a cop. That was my identity. And when it was taken away from me, uh, without, I, 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 in my particular case, it was taken away from me because of circumstances that, you know, some individual decided he didn't want to be arrested and, you know, hit me with his car and pin me between my patrol car and his car and, you know, this kind of a thing. It, when I left, I, I'm still a cop. I, I was still a cop. I was right. still seeking that. I was still looking for that. I was still looking for the family, the colleagues, the, the atmosphere, the camaraderie, the, you know, it, in fact, I, I have to laugh because we'd be driving around, I'd be calling stuff in and these guys are going, Sarge, you're making more arrests now than you did on the job. Just relax. So same thing with you. You had done it for so long, it was your identity. It it stuck right. with you. So when you had this awakening and and you realized you felt more at peace, did it allow you to to kind of step outside of that identity and realize that there's more to your purpose? Very much, yeah. And what you talk about as identity, it resonates with me completely. Uh, because I, because there's, you know, you you feel like a, you're doing something important, you're doing something with meaning, and I didn't have that, right? So yeah, all of that I completely agree with. But when I had this moment, yeah, I suddenly I felt uh, a sense of purpose I hadn't felt probably ever, but I hadn't felt in a long time anything close to that, which is probably how I'd felt when I was overseas doing all that stuff. And yeah, I felt uh, meaning in life. I felt like I understood what meaning in life was. And I was finally able to see something beyond uh, trying to get back to that person that I had been. Uh, and I think that, you know, it, it sometimes when you see darkness, you know, it helps yeah. you see light. Yeah. You know, it, that's the, I think that's the aspect of it that I appreciate from my, my experiences all those years is that, oh, well, I can see light better now. 
Yeah, I, I think it's and it and it feels good on the inside, from a soul perspective. At least it, from the way that's the way I felt about it when I when I received that same kind of an opportunity. Um, <coughs> can you help us understand what? Um, and if, please correct me if I'm wrong. Is it called Kishar? It's Kishar, but yeah, it's, Kishar. it's it can be pronounced either way. Yeah. Can you tell me about Kishar? What what exactly is Kishar? Is it a, a philosophy? Is it a religion? Is it a uh, uh, a practice? Can you help me help us understand that? Sure. It's it's a it's a spiritual community, and it's it's grounded in uh, the idea of omnis and universalist principles, which basically means that come one, come all. It doesn't really matter if you're um, what your belief system is that it's valid and it's respected. And if everybody can approach and come forward with an open mind, we can uh, come together, have a community forum and have conversations where we can talk about what your journey is, what my journey is, see how they relate. And if we bring forth the tenets of uh, spiritual philosophies or religions or uh, even self-help ideas or whatever, if you bring those forth and you bring it forth without strict adherence to dogma or rules, then they all probably overlap a lot and make a lot of sense to one another. And if you believe this and I believe that, we can still practice what we believe next to each other side by side. And that that will help everyone find out who they are on their own unique spiritual path. We each have our own unique path. And... Kishar was created as a place where we believe that there's room online in our digital age to have meaningful, authentic connection with people here in this digital age. Uh, and so it's uh, named after the divine. Um, it's actually named after the, the divine feminine from Sumerian uh, uh, lore. It's, it's uh, kind of like the mother, mother earth or Gaia figure in in Sumerian world. And that's what Kishar represents. And it also represents the line on the horizon, which is kind of like the journey that we're all on, which we think is kind of this beautiful thing because we may never get where we're going. So if we can enjoy what we're doing along the way, then we're going to be a lot happier. I would, yeah, I agree with that. I think from a perspective of, you know, I, I, I think growing up Catholic, they had these beliefs and these rules that you had to follow for every aspect of praying, talking to God, talking to the universe, whether you believe in you know in angels or guidance or whatever it was, there were these rules in place that I felt were, in my perspective, I felt were constraining me in regard to understanding that there's a bigger picture and so forth. Um, and so when I went, when my, my family, actually all of us, had gone to a more of a spiritual path, a spiritual level, we we kind of opened our idea to that there's a better understanding of uh, a stream of consciousness, that we're all connected, and that we're, we're all in this together, so to speak. We're all in the same ride, maybe in a different car, in a different cart, or a different perspective, you know, level, but we're all, all doing this together. Um, do you, can we help everybody understand kind of the difference between uh, religion and spiritual spiritualism? Absolutely. 
you know, religion to me is, is this thing that has been touched by humans uh, over centuries where they've put in their own uh, rules and regulations or uh, dogma as it is, right? And spirituality, spiritualism is, I think, the, your individual personal approach to that bridge between the real world we all occupy and the the other side. You can call it the divine or yourself with a capital S or whatever's deep inside you. Call it the Hindu Brahman or, or the Tao of Taoism or Christ consciousness if you're Christian. Um, it has many names. And so spirituality really is that path that is just for you that decides what the connection to consciousness and beyond consciousness is. And I mean, even if you're a scientist, you know, you can go ask a scientist what, what, what's consciousness. And they can tell you that it exists probably, but they can't tell you what it is. Um, and so it's, you know, spiritual spirituality is that deeply personal aspect of that bridge from the concrete world to the, to the other side. And religion is, is the same thing with a bunch of man-made rules around it that I think we can, when you strip that away, it's just spirituality because it's personal. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, it, it was interesting when I first started, um, when I went back to university and to get my degree I did now, I studied some different uh, theori theoretical um, religious practices. I, I, everything from the Catholic to the, when I was a kid, we we went, long story, but I, it, it not that important, but my mother was seeking so much that we went to about eight different churches trying to fit in. My mother was trying to fit in because the Catholic church, when she got divorced, basically said, you can't come in, you can't do communion, you can't do this, you can't do that, you get into the man-made rules. So when I started doing some research, I found it very you know interesting and agree with it, opened my eyes when I realized that the Bible was in, in, obviously this is stuff that can't be substantiated, it was written 50 years after Jesus even died. And it was old man's stories passed on and passed on and passed on in order to get down. And then the King James version, he went through and said, I don't want this, put this in, take that out, put this in, put that out. The Pope said, put this in, take that out, put this in, take that out. Everybody, like you said, man-made, that it kind of triggered that a little bit it's it's man man came in and said i like this i like that i don't like this i don't like that put this in put that out so to me it became more of of what you just said more of a a man made you know concept that allowed control not to be a conspiracy theorist but basically we can control you with these rules when i opened we opened our eyes into spiritualism and a lot of freer stream of consciousness for us to understand what what we're all here for and why we're here and the integration of all of our consciousness in order to create something better for others and for ourselves and for others i think that and and uh, correct me if i'm if i'm wrong but i think that's how manifestation works that's how that's how the belief in something from that level allows you to move forward in a positive way because you can connect your mind, your body, and your soul from that perspective without constraint. With regard to this concept and the, the things that Kishar has presented and built within itself, how can we benefit from one-on-one -on -one work 
um, within this community, for example? How does that benefit us doing it this way? Yeah, there's two there's two aspects of our community. There's the community aspect where people come in and we have we have conversations and we have ch we have chats and discussion via text uh, in our online community in our online space. And we also have Zoom conversations, just like you and I are having video video conversations. And um, we also we also offer uh, individual one on one spiritual guidance and coaching for people to be able to figure out what their own spiritual uh, life or world looks like some, some people, um, need some, some guidance. It's, and it's not us saying do this or do that. It's more asking, what do you want? What works for you? Cause what works for me and what works for this other person may not work for you. Some variations of it may, um, but that people are empowered within themselves that, um, whether they're a driven professional or they're a stay home parent or anyone in between that, they do have you talked about it that alignment of mind body and soul and if you know yourself spiritually suddenly you know your your concrete real world is going to work better your lifestyle your your job and we we work with people from the perspective of higher purpose or dharma like do you know what your higher purpose is uh you know i think each of us have a unique higher purpose in this world this universe. So do you know what it is? If you don't know what it is, can you get an essence of it and explore that? And then once you have an idea of what it is, are you living that purpose? Are you living that Dharma every day? Is it aligned with your values? Is it aligned with how you live your life? Is it aligned with your job? And for people to take care of themselves, because this self-care, self-love thing, if you're taking care of yourself, suddenly the people around you are going to be better off as well, because they're going to be taken care of. Because you're, when you take care of yourself, you're suddenly taking care of others just naturally. You, um, you've mentioned Dharma several times during this conversation. Can you help us understand what Dharma is? And is there, is there a difference between Dharma and Karma? There is. And there's a difference between Hindu and, and, and Buddhist uh, definitions a bit. I, I'm more talking about the Hindu idea of Dharma. And it really, it's hard to translate. I, it's a rough translation, but I, I roughly translate it as, are you living your higher purpose? Your higher purpose, what you're meant to do in this world, in this universe, in your physical form. Um, and that goes back to like the, the Vedic literature and the Bhagavad Gita and Arjun talking to Krishna. And, um, you know, we're talking like over 4,000 years ago, right? So uh, if if you, you know, what do you love to do? Like, what's that thing that you want to do and love to do in life? Like, what do you want to do? What's that thing when you, when you think about doing it the next day, you can't wait to go to sleep and wake up and do it again, you know? Uh, and, and so that's kind of getting into what your, your higher purpose or your Dharma is. From that perspective, do you think we all have the opportunity to, um, to, discover our higher purpose or our purpose because sometimes we come to a fork in the road like you and I both have done and we have to you know have a better understanding of uh, we we had a purpose at that time and now we're at a fork in the road this is who I thought I was and can I find new can I still find new purpose absolutely I, I think your Dharma can change I think sometimes you you might be living your Dharma and not even knowing it 
you know, so you're disconnected from it in a way that you're not aware of it. Uh, like when I was in Afghanistan, I was working 110 hours a week, seven days a week. That's all I did was my job. And I loved my job. I did love to get up and do my job the next day. Um, I still have quite major questions about it now, about what I did. But back then, that was living my purpose. And I, did, I didn't think I, I don't think that I completely realized it at the time. I didn't realize it. Um, but that was my purpose. And it, so our purpose can change. As we, as, we cha- as we change, then our, our purpose will change potentially. And so, yeah, it, it, it's discoverable. It's, it, it's something that can change. Um, and that's one reason we have to be in touch with ourselves because we have to know where we're at. And I don't really believe in absolutes, but the only absolute that I might believe in is change. The universe is always in motion. So I think that's probably the only absolute. Well, I, you know, I agree with that. I think that, you know, sometimes, and, and I think we should all remember, if I can interject with, with what you just said, I think we should all remember that a lot of times when we are working that purpose or what we thought was our purpose, we can bring those tools and those skills and the knowledge and the wisdom with us to the new purpose because it allows us to build upon the new purpose that we've just discovered and allow us to do it better. You know, this conversation on this podcast on myself, I never dreamed of doing this till my, thanks to my oldest daughter again, introduced me to podcasting. You know, it allowed me to bring skills that I thought I was never going to use again as a cop. Conversation, communication, understanding, empathy, compassion into my conversations here on One More Thing Before You Go. It allows me to connect with people from all over the world in regard to those kind of conversations and motivating people and inspiring people and educating people, which I, as a cop, I never even thought the existence of that at that time. But it allowed me to bring those skills forward with me. So, yeah, anybody that's, you know, wanting to find new purpose or seeking new purpose or stuck in things that they don't, they're stuck where they're at and they don't, they don't know how to find their new purpose. You know, I think that the opportunity is always there for us to be able to redefine our lives and to reinvent our purpose um, and, and realize that we, we are just on a new purpose in life. Yeah, I, I love all of that. And, and there's a lot that can go into it. Sometimes finding our purpose, the first thing we have to do is work on ourselves some. And there's stuff mm-hmm. that is involved of letting go letting go is this powerful thing and not living in the past and you know you and i've talked about the the past traumas that we've lived and the, the, mm. those tough experiences and you, they're still a part of you they're they're part of who you are they're though we carry them with us but we don't have to always relive it we don't have to be attached to it in, in, the, in a way that is this kind of raw and real thing all the time and so i think finding your purpose is this thing this this great uh goal and with it there might be some other things that you can do around it to kind of give yourself more space and time to be more spiritual to 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 be you know uh more intentional and aware and i think you know we also live in the real world this concrete everyday reality that we share with everybody so there's that intersection between our spiritual path and our lifestyle and our day-to-day living and I think we have to live at that intersection. We have to understand that the more grounded and centered we are in our routines and our lifestyle, all these 
blocks of life that we have, sleep and, and nutrition and fitness and all this stuff, that is going to really play into that alignment of mind, body, soul that we're talking about. Yeah, I agree with that. Thank you for interjecting. I, I, um, I think that sometimes we forget that the, the putting together the mind, body, soul encompasses uh, just a little bit of work. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. A little bit of work. Just a little. Just a little. Uh, it doesn't come. It it can kind of present itself, but not magically yet. Yet. <laughs> so, what are your spiritual? Do you believe in the reincarnation? I do. I I you know even though I believe in the this the sum of all great human thought, and I respect everybody's beliefs, I still have my own kind of unique things that I believe in. I I, I believe in Hinduism quite a bit, um, and and the idea of of birth, life, and, and rebirth. Uh, I, I really subscribe to Taoism and uh, the balance of the universe and, the, you know, that yin and the yang type thing. Uh, I think th there's certain indigenous beliefs around the world, some certain Native American beliefs that resonate with me quite a bit that I don't practice directly, but help inform my own practice. And, and also certain, uh, you know, pagan beliefs, I think, going go back way back in time and... Uh, there's some really useful stuff there as well from the, the natural nature perspective. And, and I think that overlaps a lot of indigenous stuff as well. So yeah, I definitely have my, my own stuff that I subscribe to and, and, and believe uh, personally. Wait, you brought up something very kind of interesting um, about the intersection of today's modern society, you know, um, where I, I, I'm from Colorado, and I grew up in a community that's a, a, a large Native American community. And um, I was lucky enough to participate in some of their rituals and the, the powwows and the you know, a whole slew of things. I got to know uh, one of the last real live uh, medicine men that was recognized as medicine man and learned an immense amount of information as an individual. But, you know, the, the, the things that he had to do, and this is just a question that you brought up just a few minutes ago, um, was intersecting that spiritual path, those practices, with a modern age. You can't see my hands moving, sorry. My hands are moving. <laughs> with um, modern age, with the 21st century. Um, is, is there a complication with that? Or how, how do we kind of set a path to navigate that, uh, to, to control the, our spiritual path with the um, 21st century modern age? That's a great question. It comes down to me that in this digital age, we have so many distractions. Uh, our cell phone is this beautiful thing that gives us the sum, the sum of all human knowledge in our pocket. It's a great, it's a great thing, right? Um, but it also distracts us. It, it, it pulls us in. It, we, we have to pick it up a lot. It, and, and we're pulled into our job. We're pulled into some of our hobbies, some of them healthy, some of them not. And so how, how do you kind of, there's all this noise in the world. There's the noise of these digital devices that we have. There's the noise of society telling us, going back to our teachers, our parents, our coworkers, our community, They've told us all these things that we have to do or that we shouldn't do or we can't do or we, we, you know, there's all these things that are put on us. And so the digital noise that we have, then we've got the noise of our community that sometimes manifests itself through the digital space. 
um, we're bombarded by headlines and, you know, we're, we're bombarded by negativity. And so if, if we can just <clears throat> take a step, stop for a second, slow down, smile and, and realize that we have more time than we think at our fingertips, we can start to be more intentional and aware about how we're spending our time, about how we're tied to our digital uh, devices and the world around us and start to quiet that. And then internally, we, we have to quiet our, our own mind, our mind and our ego inside of us, inside our head. They're great at what they do. They keep us alive. They keep us healthy. Um, they have been doing so for thousands of years, but they're noisy. And they're in, in the world that we live in, we're pretty safe. We're pretty taken care of, a lot of us. And But our mind and ego don't really understand that. They still do all this stuff to keep us safe, even when we really are safe. And so it overperforms. And so we have to quiet the outside. We have to quiet the inside. And suddenly then we have time to think about who we are and what what are what what are our, our own thoughts like behind our consciousness behind our mind and ego what's our own belief and values and what are we connected to and how are we connected to everything else around us uh whether you think it's the oneness of the universe and something divine or pantheistic or if it's scientific and we're all connected via energy and matter and whatever sits on top of consciousness it doesn't matter like you start to think about who who am i and how am I connected to everything? So you, that's kind of the process I talk about with people is how do we get through all that noise and find quiet? That's a, I think it's an amazing opportunity for us to really recognize the fact that uh, there is too much noise in our life sometimes. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because COVID, COVID was a double-edged sword. You know, obviously, it's unfortunate we lost so many people and so forth. But at the same time, you know, my wife got to work at the home for two and a half years from home. And normally it was a 45 minute to an hour drive in congested traffic, which everybody honking and yelling and you have to worry about accidents, right. you have to worry about you know, how to navigate around those and not get hit yourself. It was tense. And then she'd work for eight hours, eight and a half hours, and then she'd come home and do the same thing. And then we'd have a about three hour gap where we could try to cram in stuff. And then when she was working from home, it was, you know, everybody was going, oh, we got to get back to normal, got to get back to normal. When she was at home, we got up in the mornings, we went out on the back patio, we had a, a cup of tea, and we listened and watched the birds and the hummingbirds and the bees go from the flower to flower and the, you know, this kind of a thing. And we, you know, watched the sunrise and felt the warmth come up on our face. And then it was a 30-second commute to her desk. Right. And then we had lunch every day, and it was nice because we took a nice break, and we got to talk, and we got to enjoy that for a little bit. And, and then, you know, went back, finished, and then it was a 30-second commute, and we go back on the back patio again and just relax and take in nature. And, and we thought, this has got to be normal. They're, they're saying, we got to get back to normal, but it was so damn busy and so much that when she went back to work in the office, luckily she, she, she's on a hybrid thing which is beautiful that they allowed her to do that but three days out of the week she regrets she just she she gets so intense even working up to having i i gotta go back to work on wednesday and you know she starts getting tense on tuesday because she has to go back to work on wednesday and she has to get up earlier she has to fight the traffic you know it's just 
it's too much noise. Yeah, I, much noise. I think that we can take lessons from things like like that that happened in COVID. There's these things. COVID showed us the best thing COVID did was show us that we don't have to be tied to a desk. It, it, we don't we don't have to fight right. that traffic. You know, I mean, even myself, like one of the reasons I stayed overseas for so long all those years is because I had the choice of, I could have come back and worked in Washington, DC and had a, a six figure job and worked in the beltway. And, but I would have had to sit in a cubicle and fight traffic twice a day on the 495. I'm not going to do that. I, I don't know how to do that. Uh, and now we know we can do these jobs. There's <clears throat> different ways to live. And I think that's part of the digital world can help us. There's these things, you know, the technology can help us. We can, we can really, if we responsibly and consciously use technology in these good ways, there's a lot of benefits that we can see from it from a lifestyle perspective yeah. and, and finding, finding less noise in the world. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, well, like now we're having this conversation here and typically we, we would be meeting in person in order to do it and making travel arrangements and, you know, getting a hotel and doing all this kind of thing. And we can have a conversation like this and a meaningful conversation like this. And, and share that with the world, which is a benefit, I think, you know, for all of us involved. What we brought up several different things in regard to the uh, spirituality, religion. Uh, how does spirituality, religion, art, science, and philosophy um, kind of all integrate within within them? Kishar, for example, how do you integrate all of those aspects within that? Uh, would you call that a philosophy or a practice? Uh, it's both. I think it's, both. it's a spiritual practice. It's, it's, it's in the spiritual practice. Isn't what anything we lay out is whatever you think is, is works for you. Um, I, everything comes together. I, I, I do a lot of reading cause I want to be able to communicate with people from right. a spiritual perspective. And I, I, I wasn't a spiritualist before, so I had a lot of catching up I had to do. So <laughs> I had to read a lot of books and I had to study on the internet and, because uh, I want to be able to talk to people of different faiths, different beliefs, different philosophies. And when I look at philosophy or self-help or religion or spirituality or science or art, it to me, it all is very the same thing. It's it's all saying the same thing. You know, we, we try to integrate art into our YouTube videos. We try to integrate art into our community and and have have good art and, you know, when I read all these different books, I try to rotate from a religious book to a philosophy, to a self-help, to different religions and, and different spiritual constructs. And like I said, they're all saying very similar mm -hmm. things. Uh, and even science, like I, I've, I read the philosophy of physics by Max Planck and he was the father of quantum physics. And, and this philosophy of physics was this amazing book because Max Planck's this guy, the father of quantum physics who comes out and he says, science you know postulate everything we see everything we we observe postulates consciousness we know it exists we can't prove it but everything we see shows that matter probably sits on top of consciousness and he says we we, we may never solve that we never solve for x there um and so even scientists who kind of have their own religion of believing in science which i appreciate because scientists do a lot of good for our, our world Right. They have, they're kind of, they're kind of in their own religion. They're kind of in their own belief system. But, and, but even when they observe something, what they observe is impacted by them observing it. Yeah. You know, so that becomes a very fluid idea when you start to get down to, um, 
the brass tacks of it at the very lowest level, I think. I agree with that. I think that um, I, I, when I got into spirituality myself, I took a, a Bruce Lee philosophy, believe it or not, um, was take in everything, learn everything, throw away what you can't use, and keep what the best of it was. And that allowed yes. me to also do the same thing that you had done. I, I did, you know, Buddhism and Zen and Hindu, Hindi, and I, I went and explored all of those as well as other religions. And then I took took what I felt was was important to me, not in a selfish way, but I felt that this works for me. And and then I practice a little bit of each one of those, and I right. incorporate art because I love art and art from all forms, creative arts, dance, music, as well as art, drama, because I feel that we all, it's a universal language. Art is a universal language. And, you know, any part of that art, whether it be, you know, physical painting or sculpture or or creative arts in regard to dance or, or drama or uh, music, anything along that line, I think it allows us to get a better understanding of ourselves as well, and it gives us gives us the means to be able to connect with other people across the world, as well as within ourselves in the universe. I think it's all I think it's all interconnected as well. Um, the I I love the aspect of what you said, including science within that as well, because science does have a voice in regard to all of this. And I think that it's important that we all understand that, that that takes place with that. What would you recommend the first step somebody would would uh, kind of take if they feel that they're at that doorway that like you and I were at in regard to seeking something along the lines of a spiritual path? Yeah, I, I'd say uh, sit down and write down what what you know, with all the noise kind of quieted, what, what do you believe in? What do you, what resonates with you? What are your values? And, and then start to explore uh, where you see the most overlap in, in spiritual philosophies or, or even religions around the world, or, you know, that, that, that kind of are in line with that and create your own practice, create your own um, system. It's very doable. And I, I would say find people People often think the spiritual path journey has to be this lonely thing, <laughs> some of the somber thing. I don't think it has to be that. It can be a very community thing. It can be a very uh, joyful and rich thing. Um, so I would say find people that uh, you can overlap with that can help you and you can help them. And, and you know, it'll help you find find your way. And, you know, there's people out there that have experienced things that will shorten the amount of time it takes you to go from A to B or, or C to D or D to E. You know, there's, there's, there's knowledge out there. And I think knowledge by itself isn't necessarily um, always the answer because knowledge through experience becomes wisdom. So how do you turn that knowledge into wisdom? So just find other people that can help you along the path or talk, talk to you about it. That's amazing. So we just, just to be clear, we don't have to take a walk about in the backwoods of Australia. <laughs> That's right. It, does, it doesn't door. have to be this. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be this. This uh, torturous, uh, lonely. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it, it may be. Yeah. But you, 
You can, but you can it doesn't you have want. to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, listen, this has been like a fantastic conversation so far. I would love to tell everybody how to get in touch with you and what you offer in order to helping people through this path when they get to it or opening this door when they're at that door. Sure. We we have uh, at uh, kishar.org, that's uh, K-I-S-H-A-R.org. We have, that's the entry to our community. We have a couple of different ways to get in there. Um, we're a nonprofit. Anything that gets contributed to the community goes back into the community. And uh, we have uh, Kishar Oasis. It's, you, you come in, you, you have uh, this, if you, you, you join under this plan, you have uh, guided meditations, you have courses on uh, spirituality, meditation, uh, other stuff for lifestyle. You have um, uh, journaling prompts. We have uh, rich discussion. We have uh, round tables where we, we get together and, and have conversations kind of just like this. So uh, if you head over to that uh, website, you can find us and all of our socials is there. And there's also a link to our YouTube channel, which is pretty cool as well. Outstanding. I'll make sure that uh, there's a link to that in the show notes. so Everybody can just click on it. And uh, for those of you that uh, can't write it down at the moment, uh, click on it and it'll take you right to your website. Um this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate what you bring to the world and how you're doing it. So thank you for being here. It's, it's a, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, same, Michael. I appreciate what the message that you're putting out in the world as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is one more thing before you go. So before we go, do you have any words of wisdom you can share? I would say we have more time than we think. Uh, every day, slow it down. Uh, don't chase perfection. It's going to be okay. And, and we, you, you got this and, and love yourself. Brilliant words of wisdom. I, yes, brilliant words of wisdom. You need to print that out, put it on a little <laughs> notepad or a little sticky and put it in front of you as a reminder every day. So yeah, brilliant. Uh, again, John, thank you. Honestly, it's a pleasure to have met you. Um, I hope I can call you a friend. And uh, I'm maybe down the road we can have another conversation because I think you have more wisdom to share. Uh, and uh, again, I'm grateful. Same. For everyone else out there, please be sure to uh, thank you for coming along on this journey today. Uh, please like, subscribe, and follow. And uh, uh, one more thing before you all go, have a great day, have a great week, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go. Check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform.